Hello and welcome to episode 40 of the Telling the Story podcast, a look at how journalists and everyone reach the world. I am Matt Pearl, author of the Telling the Story blog and a reporter at NBC in Atlanta. Very momentous episode, this one. It is uh, the latest in our run-up to the NPPA Southeast Storytelling Workshop. You've heard me mention it before. I'm co-hosting this with photojournalist John Kirtley, and we have enlisted a tremendous group of speakers and panelists to discuss visual storytelling. Chris Vanderveen, Scott Jensen, Brendan Keefe, Kathleen Carnes, Jed Gamber, Jason Lamb, Catherine Stewart, Mark Ginther, Ellen Crooks, Scott Livingston. We have Emmy winners. We have National Murrow winners. We even have a Peabody Award winner. And that's about as rare as they come. The workshop is in my hometown of Atlanta, Friday, June 10th and Saturday, June 11th. There is still time and space to register, although it is filling up quickly. You can register by going to the website tellingthestoryblog.com and clicking on the show notes for this podcast. And it is also a momentous episode because it's a multiple of 10 for me. And it's kind of wild to think that I've now done 40 of these podcasts. And I think I'm more excited about my guest for this episode than for any other. He is one of the most talented, decorated, and revered reporters on the planet from Care TV in the Twin Cities, Boyd Hoopert. Welcome to the Telling the Story podcast. Hi, Matt. You've done 40 of these. <laughs> it's, uh, I can't believe it, frankly. Wow. Over about four years. So there's been some, some uh, slow points and some fast points, but especially with the workshop coming, doing quite a few of these with some great guests like yourself. Thank you. That's a great lineup, by the way. I'm looking forward to seeing those folks. I know many of them and others that I've admired, so I'm looking forward to being there. And Boyd, of course, you are among the speakers at the NPPA Southeast Storytelling Workshop. In fact, you're our keynote speaker. We are so honored that you'll be coming down to Atlanta and devoting your time. Have you spoken in Atlanta before? Oh, it's been a few years, but I've been there a couple of times. I uh, At your television station, in fact, uh, I did a little session a few years ago very good well we're happy to have you down i'm sure it will uh especially after going through the uh winters in the twin cities i have no doubt that june in atlanta will just be absolutely wonderful <laughs> yeah, you, you couldn't have done this in february for me <laughs> next time around we'll do that okay. uh, of course you are a fixture in minneapolis st paul for your weekly series the land of Ten Thousand stories You've had stories appear countless times on NBC News. I can only assume you have a hall of trophies in your house from all the awards uh, that you've won. For those unfamiliar with your history, talk a little bit about how your career and your passion for storytelling uh, developed. Uh, by accident. I mean, I really don't have any <laughs> business doing this. I grew up on a dairy farm in Wisconsin. And when I was in high school, my English teacher approached me one day and said, hey, the owner of the local radio station, it was a little 3,000-watt radio station in my hometown in Wisconsin, um, the, the, my English teacher said, the owner's looking for someone to come and uh, sit in the booth during Green Bay Packer and Milwaukee Brewer games and just push commercials. And uh, I said, <laughs> oh, I, I could do that. So I was 15 and uh, started working there and... Uh, when I graduated from college, I, I had a sense that dairy farming wasn't really going to be my, my lifelong career. So um, I, I didn't really have any, anything else I was interested in at that point. So I declared a journalism major because I knew the campus had a radio station where I was going to school. And, uh, and you know, from there, I guess I fell in love with the craft. I had a couple of internships in college, one at a big station in Minneapolis, KSDP, and one at... The second one at a really small station, TV station in Wausau, Wisconsin, 
and uh, and I was hooked after the internships. This was I knew what I wanted to do, and uh, yeah, it's been uh, 32 years since. I'm still here. Extraordinary. And when you talk about what you're known for now, obviously, is being such a terrific feature reporter. I can't imagine, or maybe it was, was that always the passion or did you kind of gradually transition to that in the early course of your career? Yeah, I, I think more the, the latter. Um, I was like everyone else trying to figure it out when I started work in my in my first TV job. But, you know, I, I didn't know. I, I Well, like a lot of small market stations, I was reporting and I anchored on the weekends. I did some producing. I worked on the assignment desk. It's the great thing about going to small um, small television stations to work, and and I don't know if you have students who listen to these podcasts, but that's absolutely always, that's always my advice to students: is don't worry so much about market size. Concern yourself more with getting into a good shop at whatever market size that is, and with a really good news director who can serve as your mentor for a year or two. And and I was really lucky. I worked for a, a guy named Mark Zelich at WSAW in Wausau, and uh, I couldn't have had a better first news director. He was patient, and he was a teacher, and uh, I, I caught him in the latter part of his career, so he had had um, 30 or 40 years of experience that uh, I was just really fortunate to start there. And uh, I, I, I'd say I, I probably started gravitating toward feature reporting even then, but you know, you, you don't go to TV stations when you're a year or two and become the feature reporter. So. I, I had moved after Wausau, I moved to Omaha, Nebraska, was at KETV there, the ABC, ABC affiliate for three years, then moved to Milwaukee, was at WITI in Milwaukee for seven years. And and, and it was there that I really started, uh, I, I, I attended the NPPA workshop there in Norman, Oklahoma, with uh, one of one of the photographers there named Jim Wilson, who was, uh, it was he was an NPPA guy, and he convinced me to go to that workshop. And uh, it... it it was like uh, a light bulb turned on for me. It, I was 10 years into my career at that point, and it was a, it was I, I I still remember sitting there thinking I didn't know I I didn't know I could do these things. You know, I, <laughs> I didn't know journalism could include the types of stories that I was seeing there. And uh, I came back. Jim and I were both fired up, and uh, I really feel like I never looked back from that point forward. And, and it wasn't so much I was coming back to be a feature reporter, but I was coming back to be a storyteller. And those were things that I could bring whatever type of story I was doing, a hard news story, bring to, I should say, whatever type of story I was doing, whether it was hard news or investigative or uh, or a human interest story. These were just skills that could make my my uh, stories more compelling. So, um, and, I, and I've, been, I've been a care for 20 years now. And... Uh, and even and even here, I didn't start as a feature reporter. I started as a general assignment reporter. I worked nightside, ten o'clock news for most of my time here. Um, but uh, well, probably probably ten years ago, uh, Jonathan Malott and I created the Land of Ten Thousand Stories segment as an occasional story in our in our ten o'clock newscast. And now it's a weekly segment. So mm -hmm. I still do GA two days a week, Mondays and Fridays. But the middle part of my week is spent. Uh, working on my Sunday night segment. So, of course, very few reporters in the country have their own franchise, let alone a feature reporting franchise. And I wanted to delve into that a little bit. You said that you and Jonathan kind of went out of your way and created it on your own, or was this something that was done through the newsroom? How did that happen? Uh, we were on a flight. I don't remember where we were flying, <laughs> I think, to a story. And we were just talking about he'd been at the station 
uh, about 10 years and I'd been at the station about 10 years and we were just talking about, you know, what's our next thing? If you're going to, usually if you stay around a newsroom, you've got, I think a lot of people crave their own thing. And uh, we were both at that point. So I remember we came up with the name on the flight. We bounced some things around um, and uh, came up, Minnesota's the land of 10,000 lakes. So we came up with this land of 10,000 stories thing. Not really not that creative or original, but it was something that we could pitch to our news director. And uh, he said, yeah, sure. We and, and it was just, we probably only did a half dozen of them a year, but we had our own banner on them then. And uh, we both advocated for them. And then um, I think four years ago, it became a weekly segment. Um, and it's sponsored now. So, you know, sponsorship's a great thing because the station makes money on it. But sponsorship, honestly, is a great thing, too, because it's it means that, uh, you know, it's not so easy to pull me off my segment when we're short staffed for daily news because there's an expectation there's going to be a piece there on Sunday night because there's an ad attached to it. So um, it's it's it, that's been a good thing, honestly. How do you feel you were able to develop the respect both inside the newsroom, but also outside the newsroom to sustain a franchise like that? Because obviously with something like this, you really, and, and I would imagine most, or if not at least the majority of the story ideas that you're getting are coming from people who watch your stories and then say, oh, I know someone who'd be great for this. Yeah, it's 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 easier now than it was when we started, honestly. I had to beat the bushes a lot the first few years, but but now, especially since we've become a weekly segment, um, they, the ideas kind of come to me. Um, I get probably 10 emails a day with story ideas, and that may not sound like much, but I'm doing one piece a week. So at the end of the week, that's you know, 60 or 70 emails. And usually I can find a nugget in there that will make a good story. So, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're lucky. We've got really good viewers and um, we they, who seem to seem to understand what it is that we do. So... Um, I, I get really good pitches too. I, I, <laughs> I can tell I, when, if someone's watching the segment versus somebody who's not. Just the, just by the way they write the pitch, they, they do a good job of selling it to me. Interesting. Now I've spoken with you several times, and I've heard you say several times that you feel like you're just getting the hang of this whole thing now. Which, of course, after all the success you've achieved, I I, I always find it impressive how you keep pushing yourself to get better and improve. How do you know when you're improving and, and how are you able to kind of find ways to do that within the framework of your week? You've got your two days in the mix and then the three that you're working on, your feature piece. How does it come through that you keep pushing yourself and keep getting better? Yeah, and I, I'm, and I know there are people listening who are going to say, and they're right, it's a privilege to have three days to put a story together. Um, but I'll also tell you that those three days are my hard days. Like the two daily news days are the are are the easier days, because <laughs> I have those three days. But um, I mean, our, the expectations for this uh, are high. My managers have high expectations. I think our viewers have high expectations, but uh, no higher than the expectation that I put on myself to make this perfect, or at least as close to perfect as it can be. So the one that aired on Sunday night, we shot twelve hours of video, um, which is a that's a lot of logging, obviously, and um, the one that's running this Sunday night, we probably had seven or eight hours of video that we shot for that one. So, um, and I, I really try to get my editors two days. So that means, um, <laughs> we shoot all day. Uh, that means I come back and log and write and stay up most of the night 
trying to work on a script so that at least by midday the next day I can get an editor, the photographer editing so that they have hopefully two full days to edit. Um, and, and as you know, everybody has more social media responsibilities than we used to. So, and social media is a big part of this too. So, I mean, we produce a, a, a tease that runs on air and, um, we produce sometimes a tease that runs online too. And that's all part of our three days as well. So, um, usually, usually that's the first two or three hours of the edit is just editing the, the tease elements, um, for the, for the segment as well. And that's, that's really important. And where would you feel like, where do you feel like in the last few years you've really strengthened your own craft? Oh, I try to pay a lot of attention to the writing. Um, I, I don't edit the piece, but I feel like I, I do. At least I edit it in my head. And then I always say the sign of a great photographer is the one who made it better than the one that I edited in my head. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm blessed here because I do have some great photographers. I worked with Jonathan for close to 20 years before his departure. He's, he's in Denmark now um, in a training role at a, at, at a TV network in Denmark. Um, but I, 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 I'm rotating right now between four of our outstanding photographers here at CARE, three of whom Jonathan hired in the last 18 months that he was here. So he, he did me a huge favor, set me up with some really, really talented people. Uh, this is the Telling the Story podcast. I'm Matt Pearl. He is Boyd Hooper, the fabulous feature reporter at CARE TV in Minneapolis, St. Paul, and our keynote speaker at the NPPA Southeast Storytelling Workshop. And Boyd, you are, uh, you're known for being so gracious and selfless with your time. And I know uh, John Kirtley and I planning this workshop. We greatly appreciate that you're doing this, the honor of, uh, of being our keynote. And for all of the skills you possess as a reporter, you also do so much as a speaker, as a presenter, and a teacher. I've, I've heard you on several podcasts and doing a TED Talk, giving advice about journalism and storytelling. For this part of the podcast, I wanted to uh, get advice from you for our listeners, hopefully many of whom will be attending the workshop, but I'm sure many will be at some point in their young journalist lives attending workshops. And I wanted you to offer some advice on how they can get the most out of workshops like these. You've spoken at so many, and I've heard uh, you just said a few minutes ago how the MPPA workshop that you went to in Norman was one of those pivotal moments in your career. What is the goal when you attend a workshop like this, and how should you be, how should you be approaching something like this where – so many great speakers in a short amount of time. What's the mindset? Well, I think the mindset is more when you get back. You're going to take in a lot of information, and it's what you do with it when you get back to your station. So um, the, the, the workshop in Norman, Oklahoma was wonderful, but I really learned when I got back to the station and started incorporating things. And one, it was helpful that I went with a partner. So I went with Jim Wilson who was an outstanding photographer. And so we had, I had, I immediately had a partner who had the experience with me and we had a bunch of things that we wanted to try. But then I, I also met another reporter there named um, Kim Reamland. And uh, Kim worked in Spokane and I was in Milwaukee and we started swapping stories. That was back in the day when you would have to put a beta tape together and then, and, and mail to each other. And then, <laughs> and then now hey, the postage on that. Yeah, they pay the postage right now. It's so easy to send links. But we had a deal that when she got three good stories that she was proud of together, she'd send them to me and I'd critique her. And then when I got three good stories together, I would do the same. And we had these critiques going back and forth. 
So she picked up things at the workshop that that um, sh- that maybe maybe had slipped my mind or I had gotten lazy, and she would call me on it in my storytelling when I when I was falling short, and I would do the same for her. And I, I would say that really it was about it was a year of tremendous growth for me after coming back from that workshop. Um, but it, but it wouldn't have happened if I hadn't had Jim and Kim uh, mm-hmm. to be there to help me incorporate a lot of the things that I had learned there. And the three of us had all gone through that together. So it, it, that was really ideal. And, and then don't stop. So come to Atlanta and that's a great workshop and you're going to learn a lot, but um, that doesn't mean that's the only one you should attend. And and it's, it's this uh, um, reinforcement that comes with attending workshops. And I, I attended many of them with, I think when I, I went to that first one in Norman, Oklahoma, it was like, okay, um, I, I want to be like Bob Dotson and I want to be like John Larson and some of the other great instructors there. I want to do what they're doing. I don't know. I don't know how to do that yet. I'm a long way from there. Uh, and I'm, I'm still trying to reach their level, but, the, but, but it, it was that, that it was like, these things are possible and now I have to figure out how to accomplish them. So I went to, you know, I went to Pointer Institute and, um, and I tried to continue to learn and continue to go to workshops and surround myself with good people and uh, get critiques when I can. I, I sent work to John Larson after I'd heard John, John Larson speak, and he was kind enough to give me a critique. So hmm. um, learning is a lifelong pursuit. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm still learning. Um, and I'm, I'm fortunate I have some great colleagues here that I'd love to bring into a booth after a story's edited and say, okay, Lindsay Siebert sits near me and she's a great writer here, but I'll say, all right, Lindsay, come in here. I just tell me how to make this better. Uh, where am I falling short? And she's always has great suggestions for lines I can rewrite, or maybe something we can restructure in the story. It sounds like, and, and, you know, I hear this criticism of conferences and workshops uh, a lot of the time that. You know, during the workshop, you're inspired, you see the possibilities, you're motivated. And then once you get back to your day job, you're busy, you're caught up in the grind and and those possibilities suddenly seem to vanish very quickly. And it sounds like the way that you kind of keep the fires burning or that you kept the fires burning after the workshops you attended, it wasn't so much what you were doing during your nine to five or during your shifts in the mix. It was what you were doing surrounding them. Yeah, no, that, that's that's true. There's just not time, uh, particularly if you're doing daily news. I mean, I can I can try and incorporate some things, but it's really going back and looking at them later and showing them to other people that I that I think a lot of the learning takes place. Uh, Kevin Sullivan, one of our photographers here, just started a, a monthly uh, session where we all get together and just look at each other's work and offer critiques. And the news directors. Here, Jane Elke's pop for some pizza, so she she brings us buys us dinner every month, and um, I I think things like that are really helpful too. Um, I, and I always feel like I learn as much critiquing other people's work as I do getting critiques of my work. So I I think that works both ways. So when uh, when I was critiquing Kim's work, I was I was learning as much as she was, and vice versa. So I I think that's really good too. That's that's the great. I mean, I, it's really a privilege to teach, and I, I appreciate being invited for the workshop in Atlanta. Um, I'm a better reporter when I go back on Monday after I've done a workshop than I was on Friday, because it's a chance to reinforce the things that I know to be true, um, but that can sometimes slide if I'm not constantly thinking about them. Um, it's a chance to learn from others, because I'll see some good work while I'm there, 
and uh, and it forces me to put handles on things. So there are concepts that I know to be true, but if I have to teach them, it makes me kind of put a handle on it. I have to understand it myself before I can teach it. And if I put it, and when I say put a handle on it, I mean like a tool. So a hammer is no good without a handle. It's you know, but once I put a handle on it, then I can then I can use it. And and it's that same way with a you know with a literary device. You know, if I'm talking about parallel themes or opposing themes or suppositions, I've just put a handle on a concept that was vague to me before I put a handle on it. But once, but once we can start talking about things in those terms, it just makes it easier for me to go back and use them again. And once you've done the hard work in developing the handles, then everybody else who is hearing you speak can reap the benefits and, and have that in their head and have a technique that they can reach for when they get back and start working on stories as well. Yeah, and I think these are all tools that we use. And I mean, we, we borrow ideas from people, and I certainly do. I, I um I, I love John Larson's style, so I, I, I think I imitated him. I, I tried to be like him, but and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But then I think you have to kind of find your own at some point. You have to you have to find that thing that distinguishes you because you you want to have you want to you know you want to have Matt Pearl's style or, uh, and I and you know and I've tried to do that with my own work. But there's still little. There are influences of a lot of people in my work, and a lot. Frankly, there were a lot of people that I saw at Norman twenty uh, some years ago. This might be a strange question, but is there a question that you get asked, or a question that you hear asked regularly at these conferences, that maybe kind of misses the point or misses the boat a little bit? Oh, oh, yeah. You know, um, you're showing too many uh, long form stories. Uh, I don't do those. So that doesn't apply to me. And, and I, I really think that you're closing your eyes. If you're, if, if you're, if you're raising that question, um, because the storytelling tools that are used in a three minute story are no different than the storytelling tools that are used in a minute and a half story. They're really the same. When I, I, on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I'm working on a three minute story. And on Friday, I'm working on a minute 30, turning it same day for our six o'clock newscast. I'm doing the same things. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to identify a character and I'm, I'm looking to find a focus. You know, I'm trying to, uh, you know, a strong opening line, a strong closing line, um, and, and some good solid writing in, in the middle to tie it all together. It, it's no different. And whether I'm covering a traffic accident or a snowstorm, or a, a gun debate at the state capitol. Those are things that I'm always trying to do. So I, I think people are missing the point if they hear a good speaker doing good stories and close their mind because what they're showing is three minutes long instead of a minute 20. Um, yeah, I, I, I have more time to craft that three-minute story. But if I have to do it in less time, I'm I'm, I'm just being a little more efficient about the way that I do it, but I'm still bringing the same tools to the job. I had a, this is a quick anecdote, but I had a situation today where I had a package at 5.30 and then another mini pack at 6. And I did not complete the 5.30 package until about 5.26 and sent it to air and it ran at 5.30. So that gave me about 30 minutes to write and edit Yikes. This, yeah, this next one. So, and, and, and you're, uh, you're MMJing too, right? So, so yes. Yeah, that's uh, that's tough. Did you did you accomplish it? Well, not only did I accomplish it, it was not my best work by by any stretch of the imagination. But it, 
I was surprised in writing and editing this mini pack, which I did in all of about a half an hour, how some of the storytelling techniques that I rely upon for the minute 30s and the longer pieces, how just naturally they showed up and made what was otherwise a very uneventful minute-long mini pack something that had a little bit of storytelling value and a little bit of extra punch. And so I do think there's absolutely something to what you're saying, and not just when it comes to length of time, but also story function. I'm sure you know people will watch the feature stories that you present or the investigative pieces that Chris Vanderveen present. And if they're not doing those necessarily on a day-to-day basis, they might wonder, how much can I really take away from this? But I think so much of any story, whatever the subject matter, so much of that can be translated into other themes and other stories. Yeah, well, it, it, my my main area of focus for most of my talks is focus. And uh, there's nothing more efficient than a good focus, because once you figure that out, you can get rid of all the things that uh, that don't fit your focus. And I, I, it's as helpful to me, maybe even more helpful to me on a quick turn daily story than it is on a long form story. But both of them need it. I, I, one of the teaching examples I use involves a uh, uh, going to the state capitol for a gun debate a couple years ago. Uh, it was a full hearing room, uh, but we got sent late and uh, people were streaming out of the hearing room when we got there. It was over. So all Jonathan and I had was uh, a hallway full of people that was uh, that was spilling out into the street. So we had to grab people as quickly as we could and captured a little bit of MOS and a, and a pretty good argument between two people on either side of the issue that was taking place that we just got in and got some shots of that. Um, spent no more than 15 minutes shooting it. But we were able to tell a pretty good story because we found a focus. Uh, there were two debates at the Capitol today, the one in the hearing room and the one in the hall. So now we've established, we've let the viewers in on this, right? This is a story about the people who are having the debate in the hall because that's mm-hmm. what we had. Um, in the in the halls of uh, power, this was the closing line. In the hall, the halls of power, um, the the Second Amendment brought out an exercise of the first, right? So I like that again. So we're referencing back to that of the debate in the hall. So I mean, it's it. it and, and we were done shooting in 15 minutes. We went over to the McDonald's. We had the entire afternoon to put the story together. It was noon and the story wasn't running till five. We thought we were going to be in hearings all day. Um, and then we got a nice note from our news director at the end of the day who said, great job. I love the way you took the story out of the meeting. And you know, she, was, she was none the wiser. We had no other option but to take the story out of the meeting. And, you know, and that to me is just a, it's a, it's a great example of what focus can do for you. Because it's so easy just to call back and, you know, and chew the assignment desk out because they sent you late to the story when, you know, that wouldn't have wouldn't have served us well for our relations with the assignment editor. It wouldn't have served our day very well because it wasn't like she, she wasn't going to send us home, and say, take right. the day off. We were going to have to find another story. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm such a believer in focus. Once you can figure that out. Whether you're telling a three-minute story or a minute fifteen story um, with on a really tight deadline, um, it it to me is everything. It's the greatest storytelling tool of all. It's so funny because I I noticed this in the anecdote I told and the one that you just told, 
And and I know for both of us, I would imagine that the stories that we treasure most are the the longer, more in depth ones that that we've gotten to do. But in both of our anecdotes just now, there, there's a certain infectious spirit, and I think a real fun part of the job as a journalist when you're in those crunches and how you kind of maneuver your way out of them and right. the problem solving no, part of it that comes. You're into completely play. right, and it's it's the reason that I've not pushed my employer to make me a full time feature reporter. I, I honestly, I want to keep those muscles sharp. Uh, if I stop doing live shots and if I stop having to turn uh, stories under those extreme deadlines that we sometimes do, those are muscles that will atrophy. And, and, you know, I want to remain a valuable employee here at care 11 and I'm more valuable to my employer if I have those skills than if I don't. And, um, I, I love, doing my segment. I love those three days that I get to pour myself into one story. But honestly, there's a burnout in that too. And it's nice on a Friday after I've had three days of nothing but, um, you know, these, these 10 hours of video that we shot and staying up all night logging it so that I can get a script to an editor and worrying about teases and social media and everything else that goes with that long form story. It's nice to come in and get a story assigned to me off the desk you know, and go, go out and cover a snowstorm and do a live shot alongside the freeway. And I, it, I, I still enjoy those things. And it's fun to nail a live shot. And it's, it's fun to, to, you know, to, to make a call and get a good interview and fly out the door and wrap a little story together for the 5 o'clock newscast. And, then, and, and, and it's fun to be done with it at the end of the day. Because <laughs> on Tuesdays, when I go to sleep, I'm not done. I have to wake up and dump myself right back into the story again the next day. And it's nice on a Friday to go home and not think about it again till, till Monday. This is the Telling the Story podcast. I'm Matt Pearl. My guest is Boyd Hooper, feature reporter and live shot lover extraordinaire <laughs> and a speaker at this year's NPPA Southeast Storytelling Workshop, June 10th and 11th in Atlanta. Register now by clicking on the link in the show notes for this podcast. Boyd, as we wrap up, I always like to use the last section of the podcast to talk about advice for younger journalists. This is something uh, very well-trodden ground uh, for you. You've discussed it so much in presentations and interviews. You work with plenty uh, in your own shop, plenty of up-and-coming reporters and MMJs. You obviously speak to so many. What's the best piece of advice that they are not getting? Um, learn a lot of everything in the first couple of years of your career, but then start to figure out that one thing that you're really, really good at. Um, and, and that could be you work a police beat really well and you've got great sources at the police department, or maybe it's the Capitol and you really enjoy political reporting. Um, or, or maybe it's human interest stories and you really want to work on those storytelling skills, whatever that thing is. When I look around, um, this market and other markets that I've worked in and I see the people that, that, um, have really endured and have found great satisfaction in their careers and frankly have become valuable to their employers and uh, uh, and are the ones that their employers want to keep and, and you know with that comes better raises and all of those sorts of things it's those it's those people who've gotten really good at something and have, and have, have become irreplaceable in their newsrooms um, the middle is a is not a great place to be in a tv newsroom where you're good at a lot of things but not great at anything 
And uh, that's the piece of advice that I think I would give young people. Doesn't mean you have to do that the first year in your career. I think it's really good to try a lot of things and figure out what that one thing is. Uh, there's a reporter here in, in this market who owns social media. I, he's got, I don't know, probably 30 times the Twitter followers that I do, but he's made that his thing and that's made him more valuable to his TV station. Uh, so whatever that thing is, find it. I think uh, a lot of young journalists enter the business these days and they don't, they don't get feedback from above that values storytelling. And I know this is, you know, storytelling is something that you hold dear. It's probably the bedrock of almost every speech and presentation I've ever heard you give. But I feel like for a lot of young journalists, they're not getting that emphasis from those at the top. They're more told to churn out content, supply social media, supply three different shows. They see newsrooms that don't value what the NPPA might call traditional storytelling. Are you concerned that as a business we're straying from that and that younger journalists specifically are not getting that ingrained in them as much as maybe they should be? Yeah, my, my sense is actually just the opposite. I think we're heading into a new wave of uh, storytelling, and I think it's being driven by social media. And and I, th- I think that companies, newsrooms that aren't paying attention to this it soon will be, um, because I, I look at what's being shared from our newscasts. Is we have a chart beat hanging on the wall in our newsroom. I assume you do, too. And uh, I think that... Uh, the well, I, I, th- I think that the elements of story are so universal. Um, and if, if they weren't, there'd be no Hollywood. If they weren't, there'd be no publishing industry. And I think that some of the assumptions that we've made as journalists over the years have been misguided. And I think that now that we have a better window into what our viewers are interested in, and, and not just interested in, but interested enough to, to share a story on a Facebook page, uh, that's a connection to a story when that happens. And when I look at the stories that are being shared on our Facebook page, you know, they're, they're not garage fires. Um, they're not some of the crime-driven things that we always assumed that viewers wanted or, or, or we covered because they were, frankly, they were really easy to cover. They're stories with some depth and they're stories with emotion and they're stories that allow us as viewers to make a connection to another human being. Uh, feature stories work really well when we're looking at those things, but so do hard news stories when they're handled handled with storytelling tools. So I'm re- I'm really optimistic about the future of storytelling, uh, and, and 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 it's based on what I'm seeing in our newsroom. That's great, and I know you've uh, I'm a loyal follower of your Facebook page for Land of Ten Thousand Stories, and you've had some fabulous social media successes through that. Is there one in particular where it just reached a number of people that you never fathomed uh, a story of yours would ever get. Yeah, I, I did a story a couple of years ago uh, about a, a little boy named Emmett, and uh, he was three years old at the time and struck up a friendship with a World War II veteran named Erling. And um, it ran in our Land of 10,000 Stories segment and went nuts on social media. And um, we ended up doing a couple of follow-ups after uh, on the two of them later that also did very well on social media. And I think it's things like that that have helped me understand the potential of this. Uh, As someone who's spent his entire career in a local market, um, I've appreciated the fact that 
I have network reach, uh, depending on the story that I do. I mean, that that story in particular has been shared many, many times more than the number of people who watch and watch a network newscast. So we should those of us who toil in local television should be excited about the fact we have a worldwide reach now for the stories that we do, which behooves us even more to figure out the tools and techniques that we can use to tell those stories to broaden the reach. Good stuff. That is Boyd Hoopert, our keynote speaker at the NPPA Southeast Storytelling Workshop. Boyd, any uh, any little tease you can give as to what you might be talking about in Atlanta on June 11th as our keynote? Uh, Matt, I haven't even I haven't thought about <laughs> to fill my hour yet. I'm going to confess. <laughs> um, how I, the best thing no 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 i usually here's what i usually say i usually like to lower lower the bar so that i can exceed your expectations but that doesn't make (laughs) a very good tease does it no no but i will say maybe i can help because i've seen you speak before and and i remember uh two years ago i went to the ignite your passion workshop and and spoke on uh solo video journalism there and of course, uh, I stuck around to hear everybody else and got to hear you as the keynote there. And I remember talking to Bill Mitike, the uh, one of your coworkers, photographer extraordinaire at CARE 11, and he organized the workshop. And I asked him, I forget when it was, but maybe the day before the or the a couple of days before I asked him, you know, so what's Boyd going to talk about? And Bill said, I have no idea. I just gave Boyd the time and he's going to do what he's going to do. And there was a certain charm in that, and then what you did wind up doing was absolutely tremendous, and I don't want to give too many spoilers away in case you decide to do something similar in Atlanta, but I have complete confidence that uh, between now and June 11th, uh, you are going to find your vision for this presentation, and I have no doubt that the folks who attend are absolutely going to love it, so we are thrilled to have you. Well, thank you. I thought I'd just give you a call a few days before and say, (laughs) Matt, what should I talk about? (laughs) please don't i'm sure i'll be pretty busy (laughs) boyd uh before we let you go i always like to end with that famous reporter's question is there anything we haven't touched on that you wanted to add oh wow yeah i use that one all the time it usually works out pretty well um no other than this is my 30 no i'm about to hit 33 years as a reporter um and uh i still love it and that would be the thing i guess i would also share with young journalists is this is a great profession if uh if you're in journalism school if you're a recent graduate you're going to hear some negative things about this industry that we're in and yes there are challenges but i can't think 30 some years into my career of anything else i'd rather be doing i I love this profession and there have been a, a few times during my career where things got challenging where i considered maybe using the skills that I had to break out of the TV newsroom and maybe go into public relations or, or some other profession like that that values the skills that we have as journalists. But I'm so glad that I didn't because I feel like at this point in my career, I can reap some of the rewards for the investments that I made early on. And uh, in, in going to those workshops and staying late to make a story better, even though it's just going to air on the morning show, Right. Because, you know, it didn't live up to my expectations for the 10. So let's let's re-edit it and try and make it better. But I feel like all of that has paid off now in this latter part of my career because I, I still can't think of anything I'd rather be doing. There you have it. 
Episode 40 in the books, Boyd Hooper. I can retire the podcast now. We've had Boyd on. (laughs) Boyd, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of the Telling the Story podcast. Thanks, man. And the Telling the Story blog updates every Monday and Wednesday. The website is tellingthestoryblog.com. And don't worry, the podcast will continue a few weeks from today. Rate and review this podcast on iTunes. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Telling the Story podcast. We'll see you next time. Thank you.